Hello and welcome to the Revenue Execution Podcast Series, uh, hosted by Model N. My name is David Johnson. I'm responsible for product marketing within Model N. And today I am joined with uh, Larry Walsh, who's going to uh, discuss sort of channel uh, topics with us. So, Larry, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about the 2112 Group. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, again, I'm Larry Walsh, the CEO and Chief Analyst of the 2112 Group. We're a we're a research and strategy firm specializing in helping technology vendors, and you know, essentially, we work with many different companies on understanding channel dynamics, um, helping develop new strategies and new routes to market, optimizing existing routes to market, um, and creating enablement mechanisms and programs to help strengthen the relations between vendors and their partners, as well as make partnerships more pro, uh, more productive. Wow, you cover a lot of ground at the Twenty One Twelve Group. Yeah, well, there's also that we're also the publishers of Channelnomics, so it's a it's a it's a media site that for partners that explains the economics of of channels, so that the partners understand how all of this works and what it means to them. So it's not just a one way conversation. Yeah, so yeah, we we cover a lot of ground, and uh, I, I don't sleep much. <laughs> <laughs> I bet not. All right, so for today, I wanted to. Focus in on channel partnership strategies. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've spent some time over the past few months on, on different topics and different conversations. Um, and, and for this conversation, I want to just hone in on partnership strategies and how you see those evolving over the next you know, 12, 18, 36 months. So um, let's start there. Something you said recently intrigued me. You said vendors will push partners to stretch beyond their product or services comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So expand on that a little, little bit. What, what are you referring to there? Even in a, in a day of which cloud computing is considered to be a mature part of the, part of the market segment, a mature market segment, um, and somewhere our research tells us about 90 plus percent of channel partners offer some form of cloud computing. Um, in fact, this year our research tells us that the the percentage of revenue coming from cloud computing, uh, uh, contra- contributing to the gross revenue, is about twenty one percent per on average for a partner. The problem is, is that partners are still pretty much transactional. They treat services as transactional, and not only are they treating it transactionally, but they're also focusing in on what we would consider to be commodity technologies. And even if they're holding value today. Um, they're not going to hold value much longer. The, they need to push themselves into um, the higher level of applications and services that where there is truly mystery, where they can actually apply expertise that the customer doesn't have. Um, when we think about these commoditized services that they are should be thinking about getting away from, they're typically defined by the ease of accessibility, the ease of deployment, um, the ease of understanding. If a customer doesn't really need a whole lot of hand-holding in product selection or in deployment or even support, I mean, a lot of these cloud services that customers are acquiring, they really don't need a whole lot of professional support. If, if they're getting it, they're doing it because they're looking to save a little time. But that value doesn't hold up very long. and so. The, the partner, the vendors are going to start pushing the partners into places where they can make money because the vendors have to evolve and they're facing the same commoditization pressures. 
So they have to continually move into new areas to either they're selling commoditized products on volume or they're selling complex products and specializations. And that's where they're going to want to push the partners to. And that's where, you know, there's going to be a bit of friction, but that's where the next race is going to be. Okay. So as I hear you describe that, I think about changes in channel over time. And I look at it as a perspective that, you know, the manufacturer just wants transaction volume and they, they look to their channel to push transactions. And then there's this transition to maybe implementation services or something like that where in the channel and the customer, they, they knew the relationship, they knew uh, the needs, and, and, now you're, and now it's transitioning or evolving to even a more sophisticated sort of engagement that the channel has to have with the customer. Is that a sort of fair assessment? I suppose from a very conventional point of view it is. Um, I would say that this notion of someone owning the customer, um, I don't, I don't subscribe to that. You know, who, who owns the customer? Uh, you know, Ross Brown, who's been around the channel for a long time, uh, Microsoft, Citrix, VMware. Uh, he and I used to talk about this because I was the one who I used to say this as well. You know, the partners own the customer. He's like, no, the customer owns the customer, and that's even more true today than when he, you know, he and I debated this decade ago. Um, it's even more true today because the services are portable, data is portable, and yeah, there's you can say, oh, there's a lot of pain in data portability and application portability, and you know, if anybody who's been through a CRM, you know, transition knows that you know. That's like you know having needles put through your eyes. I mean, you don't want to do it, but it gets easier with each year that passes. You know, I mean, the, the, this is what I mean talking about commoditized cloud services. You know, it used to be you used to have to have a specialist come in, and even in a hosted email service, you had to have somebody help you set it up. Today, you can set up a you can set up a virtual exchange server in twenty minutes. That's how this is where this commoditization it comes in. So no, the customer owns the customer, and but the customer needs better experiences. The customer will gravitate towards things that, towards services that where they neither have the time nor do they have the inclination nor do they have the capacity or, or capability to execute on their own. Most businesses, and you know, you're in a business, I'm in a business. We wake up every day thinking about servicing our customers. If I had to think about my IT systems, that's a distraction, and that's where the value comes from, and that's where we, that's why the vendors want to push partners into these higher level services. Because when we get into things like Internet of Things, artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, advanced automation, you know, through edge and fog computing, these are heady issues. These are big mm -hmm. technology deployments. They take a lot to really understand. And we're pushing more of this out to the edge where you have smart manufacturing and you're going to have a lot of automation and a lot of analytics baked into the same systems. Designing that, setting that up, managing it, supporting it, that requires a lot of expertise that simply does not exist today. And that's why the vendors are going to have to start pushing partners in that direction and create a new generation of partners in their image. So if I'm a partner in this scenario, what sort of risks am I taking by continuing to evolve at the, the vendor or the manufacturer's behest? 
In which direction, though? Because I, like, I would, I would say that there's, there's two things that the, that the. Um, I would say that there's two things um, that the Avengers do very well. They, they try, and I say they try very well because they don't necessarily succeed. They try very well at inspiring partners to evolve and change and transform. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so, you know, we could play buzzword bingo. Um, by some of the things that get said about this. The other thing vendors are very good at is telling partners not to change. So, because... The I love you just the way you are. Don't change. No, no. I, I wish it was that simple. I mean, it's... It, it's it, I, I sit there, I scratch my head when I hear them talk about talking when they say things like this. Uh, they'll say, transform your business. This is the wave of the future. You've got to get on board with this today and go get this training and go get the certifications and invest in this infrastructure. And by the way, we have rebates on these servers. And if you can move a bunch of them, <laughs> that would be great. Right. And we developed this model. I'm not going to say it's sophisticated. It's actually rather simplistic. You know, it's just two intersecting lines, one going down, one going up. And you can plan transitions based on these intersecting lines. The problem is, is that vendors look at that and they'll say, I like that notion because it's a planned transition. Only thing is, is that while that line is going up for the growth of the new thing, can you moderate that line down so it doesn't change? So we want to keep the past the same because we want to keep that revenue going as long as we can. And we want to grow this other new one. And they don't want to make that choice. And so they tell the partners to stay fixated, you know, stay current on what they're already doing. And keep producing over here and then go invest over here. And that is a monumental risk to the yeah. partners. They can't, you know, the partners are classically uh, under-resourced, undercapitalized, which makes them highly risk-adverse. And that's the reason why partners only moderately invest. Yeah. Like, it's funny. That kind of almost perfectly parallels uh, complaints of public companies, right? They want they they're told that they need to have a vision and a direction for the future, and then they also have to hit a number, a growth number every quarter, quarter after quarter. It's like you you're you you can't focus on these two number one priorities at the same time. Well, there's we see this particularly within because now there's a huge race to the services model because everyone wants to create an annuity revenue stream and they want to get off of perpetual licenses or or transactional one-time sales Mm -hmm. completely get it no one wants to go through the pain of that transition and won't say the company uh, that got one of the first companies that went through this process where they went from perpetual licenses or term licenses and the, the entire upgrade cycle to a cloud-based services model, a subscription model. And for a year, their revenues went down. I mean, they, they cratered, and the street crucified them, mm-hmm. absolutely murdered them. Look at that, their revenues were going down, and they would say up front, look, we told you this was about bookings. Yeah. If you know, our bookings are doing this, or, you know, and for those of you who are you know, at home, I'm putting my hand up. <laughs> but you know, the, the bookings were, going, were skyrocketing because the customers didn't have a choice. They had to buy onto these subscriptions. They were not going to lose support for the software. But the revenue was trailing. Yeah. And it wasn't until the revenue caught up that the street came back and said, wow, you're a geniuses. Yeah. 
yeah, nobody wants to go through that. Yeah. Okay. Another th- another comment that you made, you said that vendors will double down on next-gen partners and de-emphasize laggards. Now, I want to start with the last part of that, that comment on the laggards. Um, these The laggards that are out there, what's going to happen to them if they don't transform? Can they survive? Will they live on in their sort of mentality of, you know, I just want to push transactions to the channel. I'm good at that. I know how to do that. You know, this is a hard one because this is where you have to say to Bob, it's been nice knowing you. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. Uh, my Back in the 70s, my father had a, had a gas station and a repair shop. He didn't make money off gas. He made money off of car repairs. That's where it was, you know. And it kind of makes sense. Gasoline was a thing that brought cars in. Um, the repair work is what made it, you know, was what made the business profitable. Do you see that anymore? No. No. Why? Because cars, and this is the reason why my father got out of that business, was because around the early 1980s, that's when they started, they started putting the first processors, computer controllers, into cars. And it was no longer just about taking a part out and replacing it and putting another part back in. It got far more sophisticated. So you do see that there are parallels that have already happened. This has been something that's happened in the industry forever. Uh, we actually did this as a test um, because you know the old business cliche about you know you know we're sure the last buggy whip maker was growing just fine until they weren't. Yeah. Well, we went out and looked, and we found buggy whip makers, and they're doing just fine. Mm-hmm. You know they they're a very niche industry. They serve as a very niche clientele, but they're doing okay. They're you, you just don't see them anymore. Yeah. And it's the same thing that's going to happen with box pushers. Um, there will always be some mainstream shops. There will always be large account resellers, although they'll probably morph more so than they than they look like resellers today. Um, but the idea that you're going to have a business that is based 60% on reseller revenue, on margins afforded by you know, margins and incentives afforded by vendors, not going to happen. Okay. Now let's let's focus on the beginning part of that setting. Uh, since vendors will double down on next-gen partners. So maybe I'm a traditional partner and I'm adding on sophisticated services. Aren't I encroaching on the, the business of the systems integrators, the, you know, the big services organizations that are out there? And are, the, are those organizations going to start encroaching on my traditional business as well? Is there going to be conflict or consolidation or... What do you see happening there as these partners become more sophisticated on the services side of the business? The, the, the global systems integrators, which is the code for the big, I mean, yeah. they're just systems integrators. I mean, the Accentures, the Deloitte's, yeah. the, the Wipros, and so forth. I mean, they're just systems integrators. They just happen to be very large. They do resell product already. Not a lot. Mm-hmm. They're not. That's not the lucrative side of their value. Um, their value is in professional services, stitching all the, the pre-sales design work, the post-sales stitching together, and the ongoing support. They do that very well. And that, when we talk about systems integrators, there are very small systems integrators that do very well um, in this in essentially the same model. So that already is stratified out there. Um, 
are they going to encroach on on each other? Is it going to be conflict? Um, well, you're seeing a bit of consolidation. Now, I'm a contrarian when it comes to the channel consolidation trend. Uh, we do see the M&A deals, and if you want to, go check out Channel E to E, and every day at 4 o'clock, they'll give you an update on what business was bought by what other business. Yeah. You know, and, and we've mapped it out, and we say, eh, at best, at best, you know, channel consolidation is 3 to 5% annually of the total population. It's, it's, it's in the margins. Mm -hmm. What we have seen, though, is a, a, a precipitous drop-off in the number of new companies in the channel. And so what we think is happening is that whatever channel consolidation is happening is being amplified because there's not another company there to replace them. And that's happening because the barrier to entry has gotten much higher. Ironically, this is exactly what the vendors always wanted. Go back 15 years ago when we were still selling PCs and servers like they were going out of style, yeah. and the vendors would complain anybody could be a bar. Anybody could start up a business. In fact, that's what a lot of them did. You know, you got you lost your job in some yep. IT department, or you got laid off from IBM, and you became a partner. Yep. That's a joke we tell. I tell this at conferences all the time. You know, just pretend if you see me at an event, I do use this joke. Just pretend you didn't hear me before. <laughs> just laugh. Yeah. Laugh all the same. Just nod your head. Yeah, humor me. Um, you know, how's a partner born? How? 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 Well, two ways. Two ways. You know, one. They escaped their parents' basement, <laughs> or two, they got laid off from insert vendor name here. Yeah. All right. And guess which ones do better? Be because the the escape your parent basement is the geek, you know, more technically focused and technically oriented, and the one that got laid off is the one that's more business oriented, mm -hmm. and it's the ones that left a vendor and started their own business are the ones that are exponentially better than the ones that are more technically oriented because they align with the vendors and they follow the vendor trends. They have, they, they almost mirror vendor processes. Yeah. They know the business more than just well, they, the product. But they, they treat it, but they treat it like a business yeah. and they're not afraid to invest. They, they know that the, you know, if you, you know, and this is the other thing that partners do, uh, the average partner, and I should say this, is that um, people like to say that the 80-20 rule is alive and well on the channel. No, it's 95.5. 5%, maybe, 5% of the partners anywhere are bankable. Yeah. All right. Another 5 to 10% on the cusp. Okay. The rest, opportunistic. Okay. So, right. yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, yeah, that's the reason why. That, that's, when we talk about doubling down on next generation partners and, and, and you know, de emphasizing, you know, letting go of the laggards. It's because the laggards, even though there will be others out there who will, will disagree with me, they're quite ver verbal about it. Well, the long tail doesn't cost anything. That is true. That is true, except that it does. <laughs> and that even passively, the long tail costs money because you want to automate those resources. You want to have something out there for them, so you have to give them enablement, you have to provide them mm -hmm. training. And even if it's all self-service and automated, that's still a tremendous expense. Yeah. And the long tail gets even more expensive when you touch it. So it's a little bit of a Heisenberg's paradox. So Heisenberg said you can tell the speed and direction of a particle, but you, know, you can't do both at the same time. 
because once you observe it, you change the nature of what's happening. Right. It's the same thing with the long tail of the channel. The minute you go to touch it, you disrupt it. Yeah. And it costs money. Okay. Well, Larry, thank you for spending some time on this topic today. Any any closing thoughts or comments on you know just channel partnership strategies for the next 18 to 24 to 36 months? It's dynamic. It's evolving fast. Um, the thing that we advise our clients to do is, is don't feel compelled to remain wedded to convention. Uh, just because we've done it before doesn't mean we have to keep doing it that way. There are new ways of getting the market there are new types of partners and new types of partner models that are coming that are coming into the foreground. Um, you don't have to feel that you must preserve the past. You must plan and execute for the future. Great. Thank you very much, Larry. Really appreciate your time. Um, once again, uh, in closing, where can people go to find out more about 2112 Group and, and what you do? Oh, it's the 2112 Group. Excuse me. It's the 2112Group.com. Uh, come to our website. We have lots of research and guidance, and you know we have my blog up there and my podcast as well. So come check it out. A lot of complimentary material and uh, resources for people. And then if you need more support, then I have a the best team in the business that can help people understand what's happening in the market and solve their problems.